God, we thank you for your son, Jesus, and we pray this morning that we would center around him and his work. Lord, I pray that you would free us from distraction this morning, God, and you would draw our minds into who you are. God, we are so grateful for the cross. We are completely dependent upon it in every aspect of our lives. Thank you for Jesus in his name. Amen. So, a book or a seminar or a sermon series or whatever on marriage is a really dangerous thing in my mind because so many times we come at it with some preconceptions or we come at it trying to get this rosy sense of, of our marriage or we try to, it becomes self-help. What I'm saying becomes self-help, like improving us as husbands, improving us as wives, improving something about us so that we can interact with one another more peacefully or, or just be happier. Um, and though that's, that's fine, but I, I don't think it's the heart of what Scripture is intending and, and what it teaches about marriage. We're not after a wo- warm and cozy feeling. I'm not after making 6 to 10 o'clock when you get home from work to when you go to bed. I'm not after making that more peaceful in your home. That's not the point. In a marriage seminar, a marriage series, a marriage book, can so many times we come with a preconception that that's our goal, that's our aim. And at the beginning of this, I want to just shatter that illusion. That's not what we're after. Because ultimately marriage, like I said in in the call to worship, marriage is the context from which God will preach the gospel to our hearts these next three weeks. So it's not about a smile on your face. It's about the gospel in the depth of who you are and God using the context of marriage as the tool to pound that gospel into him. Um, God is a God of restoration and redemption, and he's telling a grand story throughout all of history that he is the hero. He is the one who brings restoration. Our only hope is in him. In every aspect of our lives, our only hope is in him. That's the heart of, of what we'll do here today. Um, I, I saw something this week, and I, I retweeted it, that the greatest sermon you'll ever preach to your kids and to the culture is your marriage. That goes for the person who'll never preach a sermon, like I'm currently preaching a sermon, or the pastor who preaches thousands of sermons. The best sermon that I will ever preach to you is how I treat Jen. And the best sermon that you'll preach to the guy that lives across the street from you is how you treat your wife. The scripture in Ephesians 5 says this is a great and profound mystery. We'll talk about that next week. But the, the point, the heart of it is, is God's love for us is on display for everyone to see in the way that we treat our wives, in the way that we interact with them. Um, one thing I, I want to call us to in the midst of this is to, is to, as we begin this series, and not just for the next three weeks, but, but for the foreseeable future, is to, to pledge to pray, and not just pray, but sacrifice in the midst of prayer. So that might look like fasting, that might look like waking up 30 minutes early, that might mean going to bed 30 minutes early, that might mean whatever it means to you. But I want to call you 
every one of you, single or married, for at least the duration of this series, to sacrifice through prayer for your marriage. All right? This is, I'm standing up in front of you in shorts and a t-shirt. I don't say to you, I want you to do this very often. This is me here as your pastor saying, this is what I call you to do for the next three weeks. Sacrifice to pray for your marriage. There is no greater thing. If we're living missional lives like we intend to be, if we're being a missional church like we intend to be, there's no greater thing that we can do than to invest in our marriage and proclaim the truth of what it is to everyone around us. And there's nothing greater for the heart of your husband, for the heart of your wife, than to experience what it is that the gospel intends for your marriage. Have I highlighted and underlined enough how important this is? Do I need to stand up on the stool and jump up and down? I will. I said at the beginning, the first thing I said this morning is my spirit is troubled. We prayed back there. My spirit is troubled. Because here's the Here's the thing that's, that's really scary and really frustrating. A lot of times we think because we go to this church who's centered, who's centered around the gospel and, and it's, marriages are really important to us, and this is nothing that I've said is new to anyone who's been paying attention to the words that come out of my mouth for the five years we've been here. Nothing. And so we think because of virtue of, of who we are, where we go to church, and, and the, the pastor who's always yelling about marriage and all that, that we think somehow that ours is good. And I want to dispel those myths and, and scream that we need the gospel. Don't come to this with some preconception that you know what you're doing. It's too important. I want to go to Genesis 1 and 2. It's, it's a really big deal. For, as we embark on the series, I want to go to the, to the very beginning of the very beginning. And see what it is we were intended for. And, and our first parents, the very first marriage, Adam and Eve, and what it looked like and, and what was intended there. So that we can see what's intended for us. In Genesis 1 and 2, there were three things that were remarkably true about creation. All right? Remarkably true about creation. First, there's beauty everywhere. And again, this is pre-sin. This is perfect God-intended world. There's beauty everywhere. There's goodness everywhere. There is nothing on the face of this planet that was not proclaimed good or very good by God. And then the last thing, and most important thing for us to kind of center around it and get in our minds as the, the foundation for marriage is this third thing that was true about creation. That there was Everywhere you looked was fulfilled purpose. And I want that to, to sink in a little bit. Everywhere you looked was fulfilled purpose. I'm going to use the word frustrated a lot today. Frustrated isn't, I think our vernacular has, has changed that word to just be, be synonymous with angry. But ultimately what that word means is, is thwarted intentions. So there's frustration that comes in the earth. Pre-fall, there is no frustration. There is no thwarted intentions. 
Everything is operating and existing in the manner which it was intended to be, which is a longing in our hearts to get back to. That's why frustration makes us angry. So let's, let's get to this. Um, verse, starting in verse 27 of, of chapter 1, the book of Genesis. And, and I, I said those, those three things to kind of summarize the first 26. There's, there's beauty everywhere, there's goodness everywhere, and there's fulfilled purpose everywhere. That's Genesis 1 through 26. Here we go, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. The image of God, he created them male and female. I want to I want to say foundational to marriage is this idea that you and I were created in the image of God. We are rooted in us is the image of God. God has always existed in community. In God the, the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. We're rooted in this desire, this need, this longing to be in community. So we need to have this idea, this concept in, in our knowledge banks that as image bearers of God, we have this innate, inbred longing to be in community. Let's keep going. Verse 28. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and, every, and over the birds of the, and the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Back up to the, the, the first thing that God says there. And God blessed them and God said to them, here we go, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. Fill the earth and subdue it. Be fruitful and multiply. The first two commands for man here is to multiply. Do I need to expound upon that? Have babies. And subdue the earth. Have dominion over it. God has placed, just like, it's really easy for us to connect with this idea, this, this notion that we were created to create. Subdue the earth. Have dominion over it. This is a, a, a really important thing for, for us to, to really connect with here. Knowing the, the longings that are within us and knowing the longings that are within our spouses and God created us to be together to, to, to subdue the earth, to have dominion over it. So, dreaming, planning, building, crafting, sculpting, learning, engaging in the social, social order, creating culture, shaping culture, casting vision, exercising, engaging in technology, painting, drawing, experimenting, all of these things that naturally flow out of us. When you go to work and you engage in what you do and there's a, this sense of purpose there, that's placed there by God. And it's me standing here in front of you. Subdue the earth. We just got out of our, our, our story series. Kyle, editing all those videos, investing who he was, and, and lots of time into it, that's subdue the earth. That's all these things. That is the truth of what's happening here. And you, there's a longing place inside of you to subdue the earth. And foundational to understanding marriage is understanding who we are in the garden 
pre-fall, pre-frustration, where everything is working perfectly. Verse, let's keep going. Verse 29. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath, I have given every green plant for food. And so it was. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Behold, God saw everything that he he had made, and it was very good. And this is the perfect engagement. This is the perfect thing for us to be in. This is where we long to get. This is what is intended in our marriage. Let's skip down to to chapter 2, verse 18. This pre-garden way of life is essential for us to know and understand because of the longings that are placed within us. Here's where God really begins to start talking about this man and this woman that he has created and our purposes. Verse 18 of chapter 2, Then the Lord God said, It is no good Don't that's a simple word, a simple phrase, no good. It is no good. Do you see that? Everything in the earth is good, very good. Here, God's speaking. Then the Lord God said, It is no good that the man should be alone. Don't. These are really familiar verses. Don't let this pass you by. It is no good the man should be alone. I will make a helper for him. I've studied this word helper this week. Ladies, pay attention. Pay attention. This word helper is, our culture has made this a scary, scary word. You are not an assistant. You hear me? Men, you paying attention? Your wife is not your assistant. This word helper is the, is the Hebrew word azer. Eleven times this word is used in the Psalms. You know who it's referring to? Who's the helper? God. Every time in Scripture when this word is used, helper, except this one, the one doing the helping is God. You have a huge purpose. Man, this is vital for us to connect with and understand. Look, go back and read the Psalms. Go back this week, look up your concordance for the word help and read all 11 of them when they appear in the Psalms. God showed up as my help. Oh God, in my time of distress, you were my helper. That's your role. Man. Man. And here's God instituting this idea, this concept of marriage. This isn't just creation. This is God creating the institute of marriage. And here's his purpose. You can be the azer, the help that I am. Subdue the earth. 
those concepts, those longings within us, this helper, this azer, these things together, this relationship is designed so that you could subdue the earth, have dominion over it. It's beautiful and it's massive. But there's more. Skip down to verse 24. And here is the huge part of of where we're going to be this morning. This is what has me troubled. Therefore, reading in verse 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The, the word picture here, and I've said it before, the word picture here is, is, is this. You, when you're born, you're born to your parents, and there is a seal between you and them. This tearing away, leaving his mother and father, your version might say tearing away, they were torn away. This is, imagine if someone were to come in and, and rip my arm off of my shoulder. There's going to be a wound on me, on my shoulder, and on the end of my arm. This is the tearing away. So when you got married, you were torn away. Your wife and you were torn away. And you're sealed together. They were united as one flesh. And the seal there is the same word that's used to, when we're sealed with the Holy Spirit and we come to Christ. It's that same notion as we are sealed there. An unbreakable seal, an unbreakable bond. All right? So we're, if, if we could see the physical picture of what's happening there, you are literally torn away like tearing my arm away from my shoulder and there's a wound that's there and then you're sealed together where those two wounds come together and the scab that develops and creates one flesh that's what's going on here then verse 25 and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed naked and unashamed if this is the central part of where we were intended, what God intended for marriage, is for us to be interacting with him and with our spouse naked and unashamed. I want you to hear this, and I want you to own this in the depth of who you are. Naked and unashamed is the longing that is within you that you're desperately trying to get back to. It's, it's harder for us here as in the station of life where we find ourselves to connect with this notion of naked and unashamed. That's why I really love to get to go to Super Summer for two weeks every year is I get to talk to students who are unashamed of their need to be naked and unashamed. Everything about them is desiring to be known, fully known, and fully accepted. That's all, just one person They're screaming out loud, teen suicide, the number one reason is because they don't have anyone they can be completely loved and accepted fully by. And that's the longing within us, to get back to this, this pre-frustration period of the history of the world. We long to be naked and unashamed. And this is desperate for us to know who we are but also know who our spouse is. We're desperately looking to be naked and unashamed. I think that's part of the reason why people want to come to this church. 
Because you're free to be real. You're free to be jacked up. Can you connect with that? There's a desperate cry in our hearts to be involved someplace and be completely real. This is me. And be completely accepted there. That's what this concept of naked and unashamed means. And these aren't, this isn't a, a pathway to a, a beautiful marriage. This is us building the foundation for what marriage is intended to be. Remember that. Naked and unashamed is how we were intended to be. First thing, to be fully known. And the second thing is to be fully accepted. This longing that's within each of us. But everything so far has just been beauty. It's been fulfilled purpose. Adam and Eve are, are fulfilled in their purpose. They are naked and they are unashamed. They are before God and before each other, completely naked and completely unashamed. Everywhere they look is goodness. Everywhere they look is, is beauty. They are subduing the earth together. Then verse chapter 3 happens. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field than the Lord, that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman... Did God actually say to you, you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. Understand this here, Satan, the only thing he can do to you is tell you lies. You will not surely die, for God knows that when you will eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. I want to pause for a second and interrupt the familiarity of this passage. Did you read what just happened there? She took of its fruit and ate it, and she gave some to her husband who was with her. So, here's, here's the picture. If we can visually see what just happened. Eve, Adam, serpent. Eve talks to the, to the, Adam, the serpent talks to Eve, and Adam is standing right there next to her. Silent. Rise up, dudes. Come on. Stop it. Stop it. Silence. Lack of protection for your bride. Failure. Stop it. Then all that was good and perfect and purpose fulfilled just falls. This makes my heart weep. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, 
fear, hiding, shame. This is what's painting the, the spirit, the, the soul of Adam. What once was perfect and good is now painted with fear and shame and hiding. He said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Now watch what the man does. First of all, he was a silent punk not protecting his wife. And now he says this in verse 12. The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, the one that you gave to me, she messed up. Blame. She gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Look at what was true pre-fall. Look at what is true after the fall. Goodness, beauty, perfection, fulfilled purpose. Now is fear and hiding and blame, shame, covering, placing something between you and your one flesh. It goes on, the the rest of the chapter continues. And there's words like cursed, in pain, enmity, ruling over, thorns, thistles, all these ugly, pain-inducing words that are true after the fall. This is the fracture. This is the frustration. And now frustration rules. Frustration is ruling what's happening here in this setting. And again, frustration is not anger. Frustration is thwarted purpose. Um, I'm going to say something, give an illustration here, and you guys are going to tend to laugh. I don't want you to laugh. I've said that before. Sometimes I say things that I don't tend to be funny, and you guys laugh. I want to, I want to take you back to our house gets destroyed. My wife goes to Ikea. My wife comes back with lots of stuff from Ikea, like bookshelves and 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 dressers and whatever and I'm like every night I'm putting together a different Ikea bookshelf or dresser and every night I get like I'm looking at the left side of the bookshelf I'm looking at the right side of the bookshelf look at directions what's the difference between the left and the right doesn't appear to be a difference between the left and the right I look at all the holes doesn't appear to be a difference where the, the, the different stuff pushes in or, or whatever the, these cam bolts these locks these these dolls, whatever, none of this, they all look exactly the same. I get the whole thing put together. This happened every night. I get the whole thing put together, and I'm going to put the top on the bookshelf. And now I'm putting the top on the bookshelf on the bottom because I got the left and the right mixed up. And so I got to undo everything, and it, nothing works properly. And what that does is leaves me really angry and Jen or the kids come in, and what's my response in the midst of that frustration? I got it. Stop it. Leave me alone. It's all, just go away. This is the product of frustration. And it's not just because, you know, it's, it's funny, it's silly that, you know, this guy likes to complain about Ikea, and my wife loves Ikea, and blah, 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 blah. The heart of the illustration is this. When something doesn't work the way it's intended to work, 
Anger results and separation results from those that I love. And this is what's happened in Genesis 3. We were intended with these longings to be fulfilled by our partners, by our spouses, by our God. And all of that has been frustrated, been thwarted, and now nothing works right. God intended for it to work this way. Sin comes in and now it doesn't work that way. And then anger comes and we get mad at God. We get mad at our spouse. We get mad at people around us because of this sin that's around us, this frustration, this thwarted purpose. That's why I've, it's been so beautiful the last few weeks to get to, to send off Travis and Megan, get to get to send off Vince. And one of the things you've heard come out of my mouth both of those times is there's nothing quite as beautiful as fulfilled purpose. Nothing is beautiful as fulfilled purpose because it gets us back to the garden. We were intended to be naked and unashamed before God and before man. And everything that happens in this world happens to thwart that purpose. That's this frustration. If you can picture me yelling at my wife in my son's bedroom, knowing I got to get this done by 8.30 or Cooper's going to be a crab tomorrow because I got to get out of his room. And it's 8.45. And I'm just angry because why can't that stupid fit why can't they just put an l and an r on on the bookshelves it doesn't make any sense but the the point is this thwarted frustration and and this doesn't change anything this is not a self-help thing like okay we know this now here's how we here's how we combat it this is us laying the foundation for what we were intended to be and where we find ourselves So as you look around and you look at your spouse and you think frustration or you look at your marriage and you think frustration, there's nothing here that says to you, okay, when you sense frustration, do this. Sorry. All that we do is throw ourselves in the mercy of God. And that's why... This marriage is such a beautiful picture of the gospel. That's why I said at at the beginning that Jerry Maguire is a love story told in a context of football. This is the gospel told in the context of marriage. This is the love story that God has for you told in a context of marriage. That you are broken. You are frustrated. Your purposes, your longings are frustrated. They will never be completely fulfilled. There will be residue of love, residue of of this perfect union, residue of naked and unashamed, but you'll never get back there until Christ. I want us to understand very clearly Frustration is now the driving force in the world. Nothing is the way it's supposed to be. And frustration has left us with only residue of this beauty, this fulfilled purpose, this goodness that the world was created to be. I want to end early this morning. Well, end my time to talk to you early this morning because I, I want to I want to be naked and unashamed before you guys and I want you to be naked and unashamed before me 
that all that I've all that I've said, this garden perfection, this frustration of sin entering into the world, leaves us with Christ as our only hope. And the the response to that predicament, in my mind, is prayer. And so here's what I want to ask of us as we are naked and unashamed in front of each other. I've, I've, I've prayed all last night and this morning for this moment, for this moment. I, I want you to, for this moment, I don't want pretension don't want fear or shame. God is leading us to, God is leading me to lead us to fall flat on our face and, and beg of God to save our marriages, to protect our marriages, to provide for our marriages, to fillet ourselves on his altar. I want you to pray for your marriages, but this morning I want us to stand. If, if, what I'm going to ask you to do is this. Naked and unashamed, if you need someone to pray with you over your marriage, just stand up. Here's what I want to do. If, if you're standing up, if you're sitting down, you go stand by somebody who's standing up and you pray with them. Nobody's standing by themselves. Go. And here's what I want to do. I'm going to pray into this microphone that's attached to my ear and you're going to pray for yourself, for those next to you. And we're all going to pray out loud, and it's going to be an evidence of the beauty and, and mastery of the omnipotence and omnipresence of our God, because we're all going to be praying at the same time. This is, this is way too important. Please feel the weight of this moment and beg of God. Surrender your heart to his purpose. Let's pray. Let's just, if you want to loud, go for it. Try and beat the volume of my microphone. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this naked and unashamed before you, God. God, we are completely desperate for you, God. I pray for my marriage. I pray for my bride. I pray for these that are standing naked and unashamed, God. You are our hope, our only hope, our only peace, our only joy. God, would you descend upon us, take away the frustration, and instead connect our hearts in a way we've never known, God. And Lord, would that be the motivating thing, that, that the light that shines in this culture, Father, that we would proclaim the truth of who you are and how you've saved us through the way that we love our spouses, God. And I pray for those that are single in this room, that that would be the goal and aim of their hearts, Father, and you would place a contentedness of them inside of their hearts, God. But more than anything, God, I just beg of you, 
I beg of you, Lord, to, to make us whole. Give us your spirit and your power and your purpose. We love you. Thank you for your hope. Thank you for your peace. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Lord, it's in his perfect name that I pray. God, I pray that you would bring this moment and burn this moment into our brains, Father, and this would be the springboard into a life filled with prayer for our marriage, Father. God, that you would acutely and keenly make us aware of our desperation for you, God, and that would motivate us to action, to fast, to pray, to deprive ourselves of sleep, to wash our brides with the word, to pray with them. And God, may, may this moment, the, the intimacy and beauty of this naked and unashamed moment, a small, simple church gathered together praying for marriages, Father, would you burn this image into our brains that we might live lives of prayer, begging of you to change our hearts, begging of you to take us to at Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, fulfilled purpose. God, we thank you. Thank you for Jesus. God, how we thank you for Jesus and the hope that he provides. We thank you for Jesus. Guide us now as we continue to respond to you, God. Lord, we love you. We pray that you're honored with what's been said and what's been done this morning. In Christ's perfect name. Amen.